Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a brand new edition of Flyers Daily, a Monday edition. Let me tell you that Flyers Daily is presented by Ticketmaster, Make More Memories Live, and also that the Flyers and Penn Medicine have been teaming up uh, this season and will do so for the remainder. Uh, for the Penn Medicine Assist, and the Penn Medicine Assist is the Flyers and Penn Medicine, they donate 30 pounds of food. For, to local communities in need for every Flyers assist this season. So that's great news. Flyers certainly gave them uh, some uh, donations over the weekend with yeah. uh, a couple of good performances in both Anaheim and Los Angeles as they wrap up the first three games of the West Coast portion of this road trip. They'll finish it up coming up on uh, Wednesday against Carolina. But joining us on Monday, as he always does, from PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com, it is Bill Melter. And, Bill, we got some really sad news. Uh, yesterday on Sunday about the tragic passing of former Flyer goaltender Roman Chekmonik at 52 years of age. What are your thoughts on Roman Chekmonik? You know, Roman had, um, he had such an interesting career. Um, and he, he came over to North America 29 years old. Um, and I remember he had he had a couple games with the Phantoms. And he was actually, he was actually under a kind of contract that you can't have in the NHL today, but basically he was allowed to uh, have a little trial period in North America. And if he didn't like it, or if he was sent to the Phantoms, he was, he could have gone back, could have canceled his contract and kept a signing bonus. I think it was uh, about 40, 45 days or something like that. And he actually started out, started out with the Phantoms because uh, Brian Boucher had had that great rookie year and, you know, they, Chekmonik had won, I think, five consecutive championships in, in the Czech League, and he'd won in the, he'd won the World Championship for the Czech Republic and won the gold medal. Um, so, you know what? We'll we'll take a look at him. But there, there was no, um, you know, there were no guarantees he was going to come over and make it. Now, you know, lo and behold, that that year, um, Bush really struggled in the second year. Um, you know, the, the Flyers turned over coaches. Uh, Craig Ramsey was replaced by Bill Barber. And next thing you knew, uh, Czech Monk was the Flyers' starting goalie. And he was an all-star. And he was um, you know, he was a Vezina runner-up that year. Um, you know, and and but, but right from the start, I mean, Czech Monk was just so unorthodox in net. Yeah. Um, people always talk about the, the you know, the cranium carom, the save, save with his mask. My favorite save from Czech Monk it happened more than once. He'd get turned around. He'd actually be sitting in the crease in the, with his, facing the net. And somehow, somehow he'd dive this way or that way. Swing or, something or, around. Swing yeah. Something around and, and, you know, and make a save. And when you look at his career, regular season numbers, um, you know, not, not even just the awards, not even that he was a Vez and a runner up and, and he, he won a Jennings trophy one year. And, but, uh, you know, his career his career goals against the Flyers, and mind you, this was during a low-scoring year in the NHL, but still, I think it was about a 193-195 career goals against the Flyers. And and, and the Flyers' all-time list, and remember, Roman was only here three seasons, um, 20 shutouts. Only Bernie Perron had more career shutouts as a Disgusting. Flyer. Disgusting. Disgusting number. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's crazy. I mean, when, when Jay Monick was on um, – yeah. I'm, yeah, he, could be, he could be unbeatable. And and I remember one time Rick Tockett said of him, you know, it's like he's guessing out there, but he's, he's, he's guessing right, yeah. you know. Um, and then when he was off, obviously it could get ugly sometimes too. I mean, but so. it didn't get it didn't get ugly a whole heck of a lot with him. His numbers, yeah, 
for you know for early 2000s NHL, his numbers are pretty ridiculous. By the way, his rookie year, he was 29 years of age. He was drafted when he was 29, which is another rarity, obviously. But uh, he was fourth in the heart voting in his rookie year. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it it, it was. I mean, Roman, you know, and and he was. uh, I mean, he his first year in Philly. He loved it here. Actually, the reason why they actually got Yuri Dopita, who was his best friend in in the Czech League, over here finally, because Dopita, remember Dopita, so many NHL teams tried to bring him over, and nobody could nobody could get him to come over. Yeah, um, you know, it was because Czech Monica was loving it here that first year. It, it it ended up, you know, it didn't end up great by the end, but I mean, when I mean Czech Monica was just, um, you know, it was a high wire act every game, but yet the, as you said, the numbers were just just fantastic and and also you know i i think i think to put a little more context to to the you know to the playoff failures uh, which were as much team failures as individual remember the flyers had that seven game series with toronto 2002 yeah and you know and everybody's oh well check monic's just, just gonna blow sky high when, when the series on the line in game seven check monic was great and it was actually had belfort who blew sky high in that game yeah um yep so you know, he, I mean, Belfort is a hockey hall favorite, and Chikmanov just outdueled him, and with with the series on the line. Um, and when they had the two that series, Ronick, that scores that goal is that the Ronick goal? Um, that that was the next year. Okay, the next year that's because the Ronick goal was in Game Six, and into that it was it was back to back, just classic series. Yeah, um, I think the I know the the 2002 series was the one I think the three games went to Lee's double overtime. Wow. Well, yeah, that was that, that was just that was just an insane series, and it was, um, you know, unfortunately, by the time the the Flyers won that series, they were out of gas. By the time they, by the time they played played Ottawa, you know, in that second round, yeah. But for those back to back years, they lost to Ottawa. One year was in five games. One year was in in six games. But the three games they won in those two years, Jason, were all shutouts by Chekman. He never got more than two goals in a game either of those two series. So yeah. every game they won was was a shutout by him. So that you know, so I I don't think you put it all on the goalie that they didn't win. Yeah, I mean when you look at you know in his rookie year again he's twenty nine years of age. He plays in thirty five or he he plays in fifty nine games. He gets ten shutouts. One in every six games is a shutout. That's yeah. that's an insane number. It's and then nice. over his Flyers career, like you said, he gets twenty total in one hundred and sixty three games. So basically one in every sixteen games. And then he plays 49 games to end his NHL career in LA with the Kings, and he gets another five. Yeah. Like that just tells you that's a goalie. To me, he was the only goalie, Bill, that had some resemblance. And it's odd that it's his countryman. Maybe it's not odd. It's the Dominic Hashik and the yeah. unpredictability and the way that he would make saves. It was so unpredictable for shooters that it tied them in knots at times because it was so unorthodox yeah they they, they didn't have, uh, you know well he you know he didn't know what he was gonna do so what the, how the shooters know exactly well, he yeah he do. yeah he, i mean he, he knew he th- there was a method to the madness and also one thing with roman too because he was he was six foot four where sasha was little yeah you know so he was all arms and legs you know and um yeah you know check check monica really had a i said a short career, but a really interesting career. I mean, yeah, he said he he won. I think I said five or six championships in the Czech League, won a world championship, and then he had that that run where he was just unbelievable. You know, and especially the regular seasons in the NHL. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, Roman's later years um, after hockey were we're not troubled. <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of personal difficulties, financial problems, um, financial problems spilled over into legal difficulties, and you know, put strains on marriages and those kind of things. It's uh, you know, Roman's later life really wasn't great. Uh, you know, I, I they're still trying to determine exactly what the cause of death was, but from but in a hockey rink, and and I'll add this too. Um, you know, one thing that because Roman was away from the game for a while. Um, was, was trying to go out in the business world and it didn't really work out for him. One thing that, that did give him happiness in, in recent years was he uh, did come back to the game and he was coaching youth hockey, um, you know, in the Czech Republic. And, you know, he seemed to really, really love doing that. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a very sad story. Um, I, I remember Roman being a pretty friendly guy, very quiet very quiet and he struggled. He struggled with his English. Um, when he went back, when he went back home after his career, um, he talked a little bit further about that, that, you know, it was, um, it, it was, it was a struggle for him at times yeah. because, yeah. uh, you know, and, and I, and I think sometimes too, people were not as patient with him as they could have been because he struggled to communicate sometimes. Yeah. And, I, and you can kind of put yourself in, in his shoes too, right? You, you're in a foreign country, You've come over at age twenty nine, you know. So it's not like it's not like uh, a player who's been over here since he was eighteen. He he was speaking only Czech, playing playing in the Czech league, and he came over and was trying to learn English. It was hard for him, and I don't think you know I don't think everybody was as understanding as they might have been. But he still had a you know, but he still had a lot of success nonetheless. He did in short career, um, and he did have a tremendous amount of. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. They're they're eye popping numbers in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, rest in peace to Roman Chekmanek, and our thoughts and prayers are with uh, his family and everyone close to him. Uh, Bill, you know, this past week, I thought it was God, such an interesting week of Flyers hockey. And if you follow along on social media, you know, that that swings like uh, up and down like a toilet seat. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and it did this week, you know, because they go into San Jose and they lose to the Sharks. Sharks get their first win of the year. Sharks were 0-10 and 1 at that point. And Sharks really played a good game. I didn't think the Flyers were particularly good in the game. They outshot them significantly, but to me, yeah. it didn't look like a game that the Flyers should have won by, you know, they just got robbed by Mackenzie Blackwood in a performance. I didn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. I thought the Sharks just played better, and the Flyers, I think, took them for granted a little bit, and they can't do that. They're no. not in position to do that. Vegas can do that and probably get away with it. Flyers can't. Yeah. But then they come back in Anaheim and L.A., and they played two very diligent games and two very different games. Yeah. What, what was your kind of summation of this week in flyer hockey? Well, yeah, the, you know, the, that, that first game against San Jose, you know, I, I expected San Jose to, after Greer came in the locker room, you don't you often see too many closed doors with the GM and the players. I still expected the flyers to win. When I mean, you're talking about, a team not 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 just that they're oh ten and one, you know, and that that's bad enough as it is, but in eleven games they they had a minus forty three goal differential. I mean, some that's teams have that for a, yeah yeah some some last place teams have that for a season. They were minus forty three after eleven games. Yeah, um, back back to back ten goal games against their their penalty kill um, was they were getting scored on one out of every three penalty kills. Um, 
you know, <laughs> you know, when you come out and you, you find yourself 90 seconds into the game already trailing to them. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just a – yes, the Flyers had a lot of shots on goal. I mean, this this said it all. Some, sometimes the analytics can be deceptive. Sometimes they tell you a lot. This is a game where the Flyers only had 11, 11 high-danger chances all game against one of the worst offensive teams in the last 30 years. So they were they were working hard, but not very smart. And they they you know even though it was a two to one game, I think they deserve to lose that one. You know, yeah. I agree. Um, so you know you, you come out and Anaheim had had been hot. They they I think it was six in a row they'd won. They just they were just coming off the winning streak, but they they were playing pretty good hockey. Um, and the Flyers are really at a crossroads there. It's what I wrote in the, the Friday forecheck column. They're really at a crossroads here because they were playing games that they deserve to win and, you know, or play well enough to put themselves in position to win going the third period. And that wasn't the case against LA. And, and it wasn't even truly the case against San Jose, who they really, again, should have beaten. So I, I was worried going into the two games this weekend, especially with the proposition you're playing another back to back. For the second time in two weeks, you're playing L.A., which is a good team. They're rested. You're, yeah. you're playing back-to-back again. They're that's, laying in wait again. That, one, once again. Once again. Yeah. That's uh, you know that's a really tough proposition going into those two. Um, and the, the Flyers, it, it said two, two different kind of games, mm-hmm. but, but two pretty good games, and both were, both were deserved wins. Yeah, I think, you know, the thing I said after the San Jose game here on Flyers Daily was, you know, these games are going to happen, especially for teams that are rebuilding. I went through a bunch of teams like Detroit through their rebuild. And I went through, you know, teams like, you know, that Buffalo or yeah. other teams that went through the rebuild and are good now and where they were a couple of years ago and seeing losses to bad teams. That's what these things happen in a rebuild. You have some really good wins in a rebuild and you have some really losses that make you think like, oh, my God, we're going to be at the bottom of the standings for in perpetuity. That's not the yeah. case. And, and it really got drove this conversation this week. But to me, after the San Jose, the whole message was that game's over with it, the only thing that matters. And I, I agree with you. They were at a crossroads, not only because you lost to San Jose, but because of the timing and the way things have gone of late and what was on the schedule. I'm going, boy, this could get away from them really quick. I know they want to play a lot of meaningful games this year, they're getting close to them not being meaningful really fast. So they're at a crossroads. So the only thing that mattered after the San Jose game was how they responded to it. And if we go by the two games in Anaheim and L.A., they responded beautifully because I think they were two different games in the way they were played and the way they had to win them. And they showed an ability to win games in different ways, which I think is a big thing. No, um, I absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, and nobody's worried about Sam Erson anymore for example yeah that, that san jose game he, he was fantastic in that game it's uh you know i mean all, all the credit to leo carlson for his hat trick um flyers took actually a lot of bad penalties in that game <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you break down the penalties in that game most of them are pretty bad and, and avoidable penalties um there there's so many games where that game so many situations where that game could have gone off the rails and um you know, Urson really stepped up when they need him to situationally. Um, it's a shame, you know, you give up that third goal, you give up that second power play goal late in the game, and it, it flattens out a lot of your numbers. Yeah. But 
they, you know, they, but they deserve to win it. And that third period, that's a game where, you know, you have uh, Tippett really step up big in oh. crunch time. They, they need, and what, what a, what an amazing goal that was to unbelievable. That's the Connor McDavid type goal. Like where yeah, he passes sure. to himself around a guy. He's got so much speed going through the neutral zone into the zone. And then he did the finish too. I mean, it was beautiful. And Bill, like, do you notice this too? I talked about this in yesterday's episode. Yeah. When Owen Tippett's got confidence, like there's some players, you know, just watching them through two shifts into a game. You don't, you're like, I don't know. Has he got it tonight or not? Owen Tippett, when he's got confidence, you you watch one shift, you go, oh, my God, he's got it tonight. Yeah. Like you just see it. Like, he wears it. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, uh, he he grabs the puck and he goes. That, that's, yeah. a, that's how you know that Tippett is, is on his game. His decision-making um, and decisiveness. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And and it's just uh, – it, it's a more aggressive brand of hockey when, yeah. when he's feeling it. Um, you know, and sometimes, sometimes when he's not, you can almost see the wheels turning a little bit. He's mm-hmm. a little too fine with his shots. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll miss the net sometimes by by a wide margin just because he, he's trying to be too fine with it. Um, and yeah, when you know when when he's clicking, it, it, it's something. You know, it, it's a sight to behold. And yeah. uh, you know, and and also lately, so far this season, um, because he was also just fantastic, absolutely tremendous in that San Jose game. Travis Sandheim. Um, he was, I mean, between the ice time he logged, between one heck of a goal that he scored in, in that game. Um, you mean the Anaheim game? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I meant the, the Anaheim game. Um, yeah. Just uh, just the shift after shift after shift. He, he was out there every other shift, you know, with the, the game on the line. And, uh, you know, he really, he really looked like a stud defenseman in, in, in that game. Um, he did. Yeah. So that was, you know, Two guys who you you came into this year saying are, are key guys in a game where you had you, know, you pretty much again you pretty much had to win um, just to just to okay erase the taste of, of what happened um, you know, the previous game in San Jose you had to win in Anaheim and uh, guys that you really wanted to step up for you did just that so that was uh, you know and, and you so you felt a little bit better you know it's yeah. uh, okay uh, it's you know as you said the the first game, San Jose, that it was gone. How did you respond to it? And they responded, responded as well as you could hope. Yeah, I, I think with Sandheim and that goal, you know, you look at a long season, and you know, I remember, I think it was Barry Sanders talked about this in the NFL. He said, "When I'm in, you know, Week Four against Green Bay, whatever, right at Ford Field, he goes, I can put my shoulder into a guy on the sideline and gain an extra yard, but I got to make business decisions." Yeah. I got to pres- I only have so many of those hits in my body. If it's a playoff game, I'm going for every inch. But other times I'll just step out of bounds. I'm making a good business decision. I thought Travis Sanheim going down the left side against Anaheim. He could have made the business decision and just wheeled around the back of the net and tried to center it. Yeah. But but he looked at I mean just the facial look on him and in slow motion too was like I'm driving this thing harder than yeah. that. He just looks so much more confident in the power he can play with. Yeah, and that, that that's that is a testament to how, how so much of that was the work he put in the off season. It's the physical side, but it's also the mental side. There was a determination. Yeah, you know, and and um, yeah, it, it, he had that he had that look that he was not going to be stopped. Yeah, and it was uh, very Bobby Orr. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> it was. I mean, he might he might not score another goal like that again all year. Yeah, but that, or came uh, from the other side, but yeah. Yeah. 
uh, yeah. as a left shot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It didn't, didn't go flying afterwards either, but uh, yeah. it, it was, it was a, just a, just a heck of a play taking into the net like that. A, a great finish on it. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe the goalie does get to it and reaches it, but it was uh, just a, you know, just a statement kind of a play. So it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. Players playing with a chip on their shoulder. I think there's always two very great motivators in sport professional <laughs> athletes. One is contract year. Yeah. <laughs> and the other is shoving it up everybody's giggy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, uh, you thought I was this, you thought I was that. I'll show you. Yeah. And another guy in that boat, Bill, came up big against the Kings. And it's Morgan Frost. First, you know, a lot of people look at that first goal that he scored where he goes behind the net and go, you know, double bank as luck. I don't look at it that way. First of all, because of the speed he came down with, I was. Cam Talbot overplayed the overplayed, situation. Overplayed, overplayed the post, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did. And that opened up the – Morgan sees that, and he goes, okay, there's a ton there. Let me throw it there because the goalie's not going to be in the middle of the net for him if it does hit off somebody to stop. And So I think that was a really savvy play by Frost to score that goal. And then, obviously, the second goal right on the edge of the blue paint, and he makes a deflection. We haven't seen a deflection goal, I don't think, all year since James Van Riems like last year. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and it's not the kind of goal you typically see from so Frost. It, it, it was it was interesting, you know, and and uh, and what I commented on it on social media is, you know, it's the way it's the way hockey goes. Um, the previous week, uh, you know, and I and I posted a bunch of clips because everybody was saying he has no well he has no points he has no points <laughs> he was creating so many grade A chances that. Uh, Konechny and Forster and a couple for for Frost himself, nothing was going in, but the chances were there and they were all great A's. Just nothing went in, and then you have the you have the game in Anaheim where Frost gets an assist he didn't even really deserve. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, he kind of broke up a play in the neutral zone, but it really kind of went off his skate. He wasn't even really trying to break it up, and and the it was really a great individual effort uh, by Tippett, but you know. On the score sheet, it looks the same. It's an assist. It's, you know, his first yeah. official point because the, there was the one that was taken away uh, in in Buffalo, and then you know, puck luck or not, right? So a, one bounced his way. So it's, now he's got two points in two games, and you know, oh, he's, you know, he's coming on. <laughs> and I thought he was playing pretty well before, and these were these were kind of a little bit of puck luck for him. It, it just tells you that if you you know you create opportunities a few are going to start bouncing and, and then you get, then you start to get the ones that are the, you know, the, the nicer kind of goals and then yeah. nicer kind of, um, and there's, there's nothing, the thing with a playmaker, you know, and it's the, the team nature of the game uh, because to me, Frost is, was, and will always be first and foremost a playmaker. I, I look at, I look at chances created more than I look at his goals. I mean, he had 19 goals last year to me. If Frost gets 15 with a lot of assists, I'm fine with it. Um, but uh, the, the thing with the playmaker is he needs the guy to finish it too. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, I, I really, you know, I, I kind of thought he was there. I didn't didn't understand or, or like him sitting that other game because I, I, to me, last week, and if you, you know, and the numbers back it up. If you look at chances created the previous week from the games against Carolina and Buffalo, um, nobody was creating much of anything against LA. Yeah. But, but, but in those, Sets of games. No, now no other player in the Flyers created more chances, so I didn't think he deserved to sit. Um, but you know, the, the the goal that he scored, the deflection goal. Well, then you said no, nobody's doing that. I mean, 
if you look, if you really break down that play, um, first of all, Chris Connecting made a nice play coming around the boards and saw he could go low to high. Um, ordinarily, that would be Frost taking it around the wall there. Mm-hmm. That's, he's usually like handling the puck there. But, you know, Konechny took it, so he had the opportunity to kind of set up shop in front of the net. And then Sealer made a really nice, low, deflectable shot. Yep. Because um, if it because if it's a, a wild, high kind of shot, nobody's deflecting that. Yeah. So, you know, that was really, you know, he got he got to the right spot to, to finish it, but really other people helped set that up. And again, it's, it's the team nature of the game. But there was a lot of relief on his face when the, the first one finally bounced in. And then the second one, he was like, the, yeah, that was, that was uh, yeah. you know, that you could see that that felt pretty good. So, yeah. I, I you know, my view with him is always, you know, and, and people are social media, oh, uh, you must be ecstatic. You know, I was like, it, it's, it's just, it's just, my thing with Frost is always, I just want him playing. Yeah. I, I, I believe, I believe that in the player that if you put him in the lineup, with skill around him and just leave him alone and let him play, the points will come. So you know, two goal game is nice. Um, he he needs you know he needs to produce. That that still is the the, the main point of his game. Um, I don't know how many goals he's going to score at the net because I think the you're still more going to more often see him handling the puck and trying to set guys up. So you know, so it was good goal to, at, at a key time in, in a big game. And hopefully, hopefully it's a confidence booster. But you know, I, I I don't I don't think any player, not just not be it Morgan Frost, be it Tyson Forster, be it Bobby Brink, who who sat last game, and yeah. I think it'll just be for the one game. But it means it means a lot to players. They know that if you have a couple of game nights where it's just not working for you or or whatever, you're going to be back out there next game. That's the and and, and I you know my biggest issue that I kept beating that drum over was that I thought he'd earned it last year. He'd earned it last year, and he'd earned it in camp. And they pulled the plug very quickly after two games this year. And I, and I just, you know, I reacted to that. But, yeah. you know, but I, but I think that, um, you know, he's not uh, – he, he just had to go out there and be Wayne Gretzky. Just go, just go out there and contribute, be, be part of the solution to the team. And that's really, I think, uh, all anybody can ask. That's all. Well, you know he's listening to coaching because they got out a spray can and drew it – basically an elongated crease on the ice the other day and worked on it in practice. And they did a small area game where guys could only score in the area that was inside yeah. the, the, the area that they elongated the crease to. In other words, get guys going to the net. Frost gets one there. Uh, Cam Atkinson had one hit off him there yeah. and go in. Um, Tyson, go there. <laughs> you, you love that. Like I said this on the broadcast because Brian Smith is out there and he saw that practice and he brought it up. I said – I said, you know what coaches love about that? They love when you work on something in practice, they see it in the game, and then they see it get you a goal in a game. And you know, and you know why they love it? He goes, why is that? And I said, because it proves they were right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coaches love being yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Let me ask you, Bill, about Sean Walker. I mean, like, are you serious? Like this guy, you know, when I watch L.A. prior to him getting here, Sean Walker, I was watching Drew Doughty and Andre yeah. Kopitar last couple yeah. of years, you know, and yeah, I, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to Sean Walker, but this guy just, I mean, the way that the Flyers are playing in transition and when he's on the ice, you know, he he's created so many chances by making a defensive play and getting it going the other way. And even on at times this year, getting up the ice himself. 
when the puck isn't obtained by him. Uh, yeah. Are you just surprised what you're seeing out of Sean Walker? Is this sustainable? Is is this the player and we just didn't know it? Uh, I, you know, when, he, when he was in L.A. and he was healthy, um, but I think the health is a big piece of this here. Yeah. He, 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 you know, I, I didn't know that he had the kind of uh, offense that he showed. I, I thought of him as being a guy, good skater, yeah, um, moves the puck well, defends pretty well. Those, those things I, I knew he could do. Uh, and, I, you know, every once in a while, you think he'd contribute offensively. He's contributing more than every once in a while. He's he's making things happen at really at both ends of the ice. Um, and, and, you know, through the neutral zone, too, he's made he's made a lot of really good uh, breakout passes on the mm-hmm. tape. Um, yeah, you, if you look you look at Tippett's other goal, you know, we talked about the, the one uh, in Anaheim, uh, blocks a shot. Blocks a shot, makes an outlet pass, tape to tape, and all of a sudden off to the races. Yep. You know, uh, that's which is an element the Flyers have needed. Um, you know, I uh, I know he just turned twenty nine. I I think I think he came here with everybody, myself included, figuring okay, it's a a one year, even a less than one year from start of season to trade deadline situation. Yeah. I mean, no, I, 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 for a pick. Yeah, and that that was just it, right? Just just uh, they wanted L.A. wanted a little bit of cap space. You, you flip them for a pick at the, at the deadline, et cetera. And again, they'll, they'll get offers. They'll be tempted. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I trade if, if I'm out of it, I trade him and I try and sign him again in the yeah. offseason. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I think he's actually, he's actually worked his way into where, yeah, Hey, you know, this might be, this might be a player we might want to have around for a few years. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's worked, he's worked himself into consideration and he's earned it too. He's been, He's been really good, and also quietly, because if you remember last year, Nick Sealer was pretty much exclusively third yeah. pairing. He, he's been playing more second pairing, a little bit by necessity because of the the third pairing's been a little uneven, um, more than a little sometimes. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the, those guys who were you're thinking going in, okay, it's a six, you know, a six or seven. With Sealer, figuring six because of how much he played last year, and and Walker being a five, Walker's really been a, a, a really solid second pairing guy with the yeah. team this year. So that's been one of the one of the most pleasant surprises. Yeah, I mean, Bill, it's only fifteen games that I've, we've really been able to look at him up close. But to me, he yeah. looks like more of a solution than an. I agree. You know what I mean? I agree. Uh, plus, I think that guys that play the way he does, twenty nine is not old. No. On the blue line, the plays the way he does. He doesn't have a, a, a tremendous amount of miles. He's got same amount of games in the NHL as Victor Menti. Two hundred forty-seven yeah. games. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I t- played four years of college. So I, I think he's a guy that boy, he's really kind of answered the bell. And Bill, this team, I mean, the biggest change year to year to me is nothing about personnel. It has nothing to do with Ivan Provorov. It has nothing to do with Kevin Hayes. It has nothing to do with guys that are gone and new additions. To me, the biggest change year to year is the philosophical way this team is playing its game in transition. And transition can happen starting your D zone or it can start in the neutral zone. And this team plays insanely faster in transit. It's not a little bit. Yeah, it is. I think that a good way for a defenseman to get benched would be a D to D pass yeah. at this point. Yeah. Like it is yeah. get the puck possession and get up get the ice. ice. Yep. No yep. East West. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. It, it, it is, and and uh, it goes back to again the puck moving faster. Anybody can skate when you when you move the puck as efficiently as they have. 
Um, and, uh, you know, he, the whole team looks faster. And, and it's also fun to watch, that, too. I think people are enjoying that element because it's more fun to watch. Oh, for, for sure. And, and look how aggressive they've been at their own blue line. Yep. Right. And, and so you don't have guys backing in all the time. And uh, so they turn over pucks at the blue line. And, you know, the, there's, when you turn over puck in the neutral zone and you're dealing with short ice and, and yeah. you're already oh, yeah, guys moving, moving into the puck, you know, that, uh, that, that makes so many things happen on the ice. And uh, the Flyers went through a little stretch there where those plays were happening, but they weren't getting rewarded. Um, and the last couple of nights, the, the rewards have been there too. Yeah. I think the big thing too, Bill, is if you're going to go D to D pass and try and set up your structure to attack, then you're now at a disadvantage because all, the, all you've done is allow the opposition to clog you yeah. in the neutral zone in particular. And it makes zone entries much more difficult where you become much more of a dump team, which is losing possession. Yeah. And then you have to, you know, rely on a good four check and winning individual 50, 50 battles. And, I just don't know that, you know, this team is constructed in a way that that's advantageous. Playing fast in transition, the other team doesn't have a chance to settle in. They're just trying to scramble to get back and cover, and you can create opportunity. And they and Flyers do have some players that can score off the rush. And in transition, when you look at Tippett, you look at Konechny, yeah. you look yeah. at Farabee all of a sudden is a player in that realm as well. So uh, I think they've got those players. Um, Bill, last thing. Um, we had our first NHL coach fired. Um, it's Jay Wilcroft from, uh, the Edmonton Oilers, by the way, he has the highest winning percentage of any, any Edmonton Oiler head coach in the franchise's history. Well, and that is saying something. <laughs> Glenn Taylor, yeah. That, that's, that's actually surprises me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he, he's only been there for one, was only there for one full season, came in, uh, as a replacement and is being replaced now. And look, I know that the thing in the NHL is, you know, why do they always fire the coaches in season? Well, it works, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it has worked on so many occasions. And Jay Wilcroft, he's a, a victim of that. Um, but where I look where the Edmonton Oilers are, it's by no means a coaching issue to me. I look at where they are, and to me, it's very simple. It is a roster issue. It's yeah. a construction of roster issue. Yeah. And I don't know how they resolve it. Because the way things are going there, Connor McDavid's not going to extend there. I don't know that Leon Dreisaitl is going to extend there. The extra year is not going to be enough to entice those players. This Edmonton situation, I think this is the beginning of something very enormous in no, totality. No question. No question. We talked about the Flyers being a, a little in-season crossroads here. If they win the freaking uh, lottery, Bill, I'm going to have a meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all those all those years of all those years of winning the lottery, placing yeah. the you know, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I mean, but what it also tells you too, though, is you win the lottery and the guy comes out, you know, the guy is the superstar he's pegged to be, and it still is no guarantee of your team winning anything. Yeah. You still have to you still have to put the right pieces around them and and play a certain way. I mean, the the Oilers have been really built to be a very good regular season team. Um, this season struggles aside, um, are they a team that that's built to win in the playoffs? That that's been the question mark. And you know they they're you know when you talk about playing playoff style hockey, um, the the Oilers are. I mean, for one thing, a lot of times in the playoffs you get there, and I mean the Oilers last year especially, their power play was just 
incredible. It was over 30%. You know, it, it just uh, it carried them a lot of games. But you have to be able to win five on five, too. Yeah. And and Edmonton, if you could stay out of the box, Flyers did it against them, actually. Yep. Uh, stay out of the box against them, all of a sudden you have an avenue to beat them um, because they were not a great five on five team. And they're still not a very good five on five team. And, and I think that they're going to have to get a lot better there. And, and a lot of that is personnel and the way that they, you know, the way that their personnel is constructed and they play. Um, so you, you'll probably get the change of coach bump in the beginning. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, good luck to, to Chris Knobloch, who was a good guy, was here with the Flyers as an assistant for a few years. Yep. Um, you know, he knows, he knows McDavid well, having coached him with the Erie Otters. Yeah. So there, there's already a relationship there. I think you'll have the, the new coach bump that can, can run a while. But, but the, the, over, the underlying issues are all still there. So yeah. it, it'll be interesting. And, you know, as you said, it's not, it's not like McDavid and Dryside are, are on their entry level or just coming other entry levels. They've gotten to the point of their career. They want to win. Yeah. Right. And they, they want to be in a place where they're going to contend, you know, to win for a long time. So it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's getting to be kind of crunch time there for sure. Bill, it's my contention that generational or when you pay players what they're paying McDavid. And what Chicago is going to end up paying Bedard out of his ELC and what, you know, they're paying dry subtle or what's happening with Matthews getting paid in Toronto. I, I don't know that in today's NHL that you can build a team that can win a cup because like, like Colorado won it. And, you know, obviously they have McKinnon and they have McCarr. Uh, neither of those players are getting that kind of money. Tampa. Yeah. We know how good they've been. None of those players are getting that kind of money because of the tax situation down in Florida. And they've all taken, you know, kind of deals because they they bring home more money. I just don't know that you can pay a player $13 million and the percentage of cap that goes with it and build a team in today's NHL and win in a 32-team league. Yeah, Depth is too important, and I just don't know how you can do it. Yeah, and and I mean, uh, that, that that's a huge piece of it. And also rolled in with the depth is that the teams that are like, – you look at them, oh, that's a damn deep roster. How'd they do it? A lot of times you have guys who are – Second round picks, mid round picks. Yep. Um, you know, um, Kucherov and Point were not first round picks, for example, in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes it takes a while for the salary to catch up to uh, to their level of play. Sometimes they're on their third contract by then. Yeah. And that's how you that's how you can work around a cap with with a, a lot of superstar players. But eventually, you know, eventually there's a finite period of time you can do that. And yeah. uh, when you have the when you have the guys who are making the maximum salaries, yeah, it, it's uh, it it definitely makes it hard. And you also have to figure out how much you're going to allocate cap wise to each position on the ice. Toronto's big big issue is all front, all front, all, all front exactly. And um, so you know Matthews, Marner, Nylander, you have those guys there, and, and all, you know, and so much of your cap is allocated there. They haven't been able to, to plug holes in the blue line or in that in goal. You know, it's mm. been uh, it's, it's always been kind of one fatal flaw that they haven't been able to address, and that, that's something in the cap era that uh, the teams teams try to figure out how, how to strike that balance. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's all in. You know, it, it sounds great on paper, adding a John Tavares, which I think was kind of it was redundant. Yeah, but they they didn't need. They didn't need Tavares as much as they needed to solve other needs, and that, that's nothing against the player himself, who's a great player. 
No, but it's yeah. just it's just in how you it's just in how you construct the pieces in a cap environment. It, the prudence, the, the ability to defy the good story and the player that wanted to come home. Yeah. That's been a really great player for the country and and would love to play in Toronto. The prudence it would have taken to say no would have been the right decision, but it wasn't made. And Kyle Dubas is now um, kind of sitting at it in Pittsburgh. And uh, people are like, oh, they wanted to call this guy the greatest thing since sliced bread, this Kyle Dubas. But um, he's going to sit in it now. Good luck. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not a good situation there. No, no it's not. <laughs> That's a whole episode on its own. And I'll tell you what, since we've been going a while, next week, on next week's episode, Bill and I are going to dedicate a big chunk of time to the Flyers Bruins alumni game. We are going to break down this roster, and I am so happy Mike Richards is coming yes. home. Baby. Yes. So we'll talk about all that next week, and uh, we'll break it all down. But in the meantime, do yourself a favor. Read PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. You get all Bill's great work there. And we will talk to you tomorrow on a brand-new Flyers Daily.